Hey, as we take a little time to gather around that old rugged cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray that you'd be blessed tonight, that you'd be in a, I guess, uplifted in a way, because we know the message of the cross <laughs> has an inherent power to it, and it also has a very unique encouragement for the believer, amen? Who couldn't be uplifted a little bit by Jesus, the eternal son of God, the creator of the universe, the Messiah, bearing and dying for the world's sin on that cross, right? For you and I, paying that debt. Not just you and me, but the world's sin, right? That's what scripture says. It says that the world's sin were placed on Jesus on that hill, on that cross where he hung somewhere between heaven and hell, he bore it all for you and I. And when enough blood was spilt, right? When enough of his breathing was over, it was finished. Amen? It was finished, canceling out the curse of sin for all of humanity. In that moment, he became the very satisfaction of the world's sin, reconciling us back to the Father. Amen? Who couldn't be encouraged by that, right? Ah, oh, the sufficient sacrifice, reconciling us back to God. You know, there's an old hymn that encapsulates it perfectly. It's called, He Paid a Debt. You guys remember that hymn? He paid a debt he did not owe, and we owed a debt that we could not pay. It says in that hymn that, oh, I sure, surely need someone, capital S, to wash my sins away. And we get that at the cross, right? And I understand that this message of the cross, Good Friday, if you will, is foolishness to some. I understand that. And I say to them, let them mock away. Amen? Because for us who believe, it is the very power of God in the face of Jesus Christ and his cross. Amen? That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, for the word of the cross, quite literally, the preaching or the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. Oh, this day's a reminder. And as we remember the cross and our Savior on it, <laughs> this power can be reactivated in our lives. And in a unique way, it can encourage us, right? Because it forces us, when we look at the cross, to see a godly perspective. It puts things in order, the state of sinful man <laughs> and the state of a holy God. When you stare at that cross, you cannot help but to see a sin-bearing Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh. But if you look hard enough, you see a bankrupt spiritually depraved sinner at its base, amen?
That's what we see. We see both a sin-bearing savior and a sinfully, spiritually bankrupt sinner. And as we take a second to look at the spiritually bankrupt sinner, if you didn't gather, that's, that's you and I. Did you get that part? That's the role we're playing. So I'm talking, am I talking to the right people tonight? I just want to be sure here, right? That's you and I. We're the sinners. And you can't, when you look at the cross, it's just a grave reminder to us all that we are a broken people in the need of a savior. Amen? I got to get an amen. Amen. Isn't that the story of humanity? Sin, rebellion, alienation, and then brokenness. Again, repeat, (laughs) sin, rebellion, alienation, and brokenness. Again, repeat, look at humanity all the way from Adam to us sitting here today. That's really our state in and of ourselves, right? Adam and Eve, the representative humans, back in the garden in the beginning, right? Enjoying what? Perfection. Perfect environment, perfect fellowship with a most perfect God. The result? Sin, rebellion, alienation, and brokenness. And every person that who has been born henceforth has inherited a very sinful DNA of that brokenness. You cannot escape it. You were born with it. And if you don't buy that, get a mirror and look at it sometime. Or read a quote from Tozer, because it will do the same thing. Because our rebellion, our little rebellion hearts, our little rebellious hearts, sometimes are hard to see because it's in us. Listen to this. Because man is born a rebel, he is unaware that he is one his constant assertion of self, and as far as he ever thinks about it, appears him a perfectly normal thing. He is willing to share himself, sometimes even to sacrifice himself for a desired end, but never to dethrone himself. No matter how far down the scale of social acceptance he may slide, he is still in his own eyes a king on a throne. And no one, not even God, can take that throne from him. That's you and I, broken people living in a broken world. Amen? Listen, this day forces us to look for a way back from that brokenness. When we look at ourselves, we're forced to see we're the sinning part. He's the saving part. We need a savior Amen? You'd think it would be easy, but oh, if you're like me, the rebel in me, I do not put down my flag of sin and pride easily because I've been waving it in the very face of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords long enough that it's hard to put it down. I've been rebel rousing too long and we don't come to him willingly a lot of the time, do we? On our own. There's no way back for the rebel except when he condescends to humanity in his humble love of the cross and breaks the rebel. 
he breaks us with his love. With his humble love, he shows us the gravity of our sin. We see the cost of the cross for him. And we can therefore become sweetly broken, wholly surrendered to this Savior on his cross. We needed a Savior to condescend because we couldn't get to him. And he did just that. He reached us. He touched us with his life on that cross. So the other player in this play is a suffering Savior, Jesus Christ, on his cross. Amen? And he showed us a humble love. And we see that in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. It says, have this mindset among yourselves, which is in yours, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who, being in the form of God, did not count it equality with God, a thing to be grasped at, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in the form of a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Did you see the humble love? Now, when we look at this humble love and we look at our suffering Savior, you got to start with the fact that Jesus was God. He was divinity. It says there that being God wasn't something he had to grasp at. Hey, this is the eternal Son of God, right? This is the eternal Son of God. He's divine. He was really the God-man. Remember, he came down here, enjoying throne and glory, take that first big step down and suffered by our side, and he clothed his majesty in a lowly Nazarene named Jesus, never losing his divinity. He was really the God-man, right? One divine person, never forget that, eternal son of God. But he joined his divine nature with a human nature in Jesus, perfectly divine, perfectly human. Think about it, it had to be this way, right? You see it in the Gospels all along. You saw him weeping, you saw him being grieved, you saw him happy, you saw him crying, you saw him sorrowful. You see his humanity, right? Sharing humanity, experiencing us. But we also see the divinity. We see him doing miracles, calming the storm, controlling nature, turning water into wine. When someone touched his robe, he felt power leave it. Oh, he was both. He was both. It had to be that way because if he wasn't human, how could he ever die? God had to join himself with a lowly Nazarene so he could die, right? And besides that, think about it. It's what makes Jesus our perfect God. He understands us because he suffered by us. He experienced the human experience to its fullest. The Bible says he was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. He came down to this dry and barren land and experienced humanity so that at least in part for you and I to be able to say, 
He gets me. He understands me. This isn't an ivory tower God. This is Jesus Christ, the God-man, right? So it had to be human. Oh, but he had to be divine as well, correct? Because if it was not divinity that died on that cross, it'd be nothing more than a sacrifice of the old, a temporary covering, right? It'd be like another animal sacrifice, but oh, the precious blood of Jesus was divine blood, you see. Had to be both. It was perfectly put by a theologian of old. Jesus Christ, our Savior, was God's perfect man and man's perfect God. Amen? That's our Savior. That's the one suffering. You got to start with divinity, and then you can go to his humility, as you see in these verses. Right? He humbled himself, made himself in the likeness of human. And oh, we think pretty well of ourselves, I know, but in the grand scheme of things, you got to take a step back. This is God Almighty. Imagine that. Made himself a little lower than the angels, this one. Oh, but it was further, it says. He humbled himself even to what? Death. But he kept going. He didn't die a king's death, did he? He died a criminal's death. As he let man crucify him on a tree that he created. Imagine that for just a moment, if you will. Don't you just love the way our suffering Savior loved us on the cross? The humble love? Does that not touch you? Emptied himself of his insignia of majesty. Hid his glory in a lowly Nazarene and died a criminal's death. He didn't rain down angels. He let it happen for you and I. I love the way our Savior wore his crown like a blue collar. He relates to you and I. I wonder if you ever wonder why a king would do such a thing. Have you ever thought of that? Why would a king do such a thing? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it marvelous that he became one of us and suffered by our side and died this death in humility? Oh, yeah, it's so wonderful for us. Could you ever, just for a second, look at the big picture and go, why would a king ever do that? This is where the rebel hits his knee. He did it for love's sake. That's what breaks the rebel. It's the love of God that breaks the rebel. And yes, it was a humble love, but he did it for you and I. To define love, to show us real, authentic love. John 3.16 says this, God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave us his only begotten son, amen? That whosoever believed on him should not perish but have everlasting life, amen? John 3.16, love gives the other John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 says, you want to know how God loves you? Do you? Do you want to know today? And this is one of the good news of Good Friday. You want to know why or how God loves you? Look at the cross. It says, 
This is how we know God's love that he laid down his life for you personally. Amen? That's how you know God loved us, and it's not dependent on the sinner. Listen to me. We got love all wrong. We could just barely scratch the surface of divine love because love is not dependent on any reciprocation, real love. Right? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You should say amen to that. Here's the word picture of that verse. And there's, it's out there. It's a dirty sinner like you and I with a hammer and a spike and blood all over it and trying to nail it in Jesus Christ himself as he's taking him to heaven. That's the picture. We were an enemy of God, yet he still died for us. What kind of love is that? That's a powerful love, amen? And according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, it's a love that should compel us. Check it out. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one, capital one, has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and come Sunday going to be raised. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Best power about Friday is it comes before Sunday, <laughs> right? That's the real one. What that verse is saying is this. The cross, his death, and Sunday, his resurrection, is what fuels the Christian to proclaim him, not self. Put the rebel flag and proclaim him. That we'd put our flags of sin and rebellion down, of our thrones, we'd put them all down out of that motivation that compels us, that love, and that we'd instead have a banner over us of love. Amen?